everybody. Wynn Claybaugh here, and welcome to this issue of Masters. Now, at the time of this recording, we are in uh, April of, of 2020. So we're still quarantined with COVID-19. And I'll tell you something, this is the very first time I've been doing Masters for 22 years. Back before there was even a thing called a podcast, I've been doing this, capturing the voices of my mentors and my heroes for 22 years now. And this is the very first time that I have not been face-to-face physically in the presence of the person that I was interviewing. So to do this virtually, this was like uh, uh, pulling teeth for me because I'm breaking a tradition here. I always wanted to just be physically with that person, which meant that in 22 years, I did a lot of recordings in uh, somebody's hotel room. I would capture them on the road someplace and say, can I grab you now and let's go do an interview. So that happened a lot. I actually interviewed Larry King in his bedroom. So there you go. So I've had all kinds of experiences, but they've always been physically face-to-face with the person that I'm interviewing. And so when this came about, the first person that I contacted, knowing that this had to be virtual, the first person that I contacted is the man that I'm sitting with right now, virtually, the amazing Michael Cole. So Michael, once again, welcome to Masters. Oh, thank you, my friend. Long time. Many moons, and it's always a pleasure and, and a sacred honor to be with you. I just had the opportunity to watch you evolve and transform over the decades, and it's been, uh, it's been a good ride for both of us. Well, can I tell you that I evolved because of your mentoring? Like, like truly, Michael, you were the staple. You were the legend. You set the bar so high, and it wasn't just me. There were several of us, and I can name who they were where we would sit and talk with each other about what our goals were in developing our careers as speakers, and you were always the standard. We were always like, well, gosh, if we could become as successful, as good as Michael Cole, then we would achieve something. And that's truly from my heart. That's exactly how it was. And I remember before I even had the chance to meet you, and I'm sure I stalked you is how I eventually met you, but I had bought, it was all VHS tapes back then, videos and I bought the whole series what was it called about just professionalism in the salon and you would act it out and put on different costumes what was that called panic in the parlor psycho in the salon a little off the top the power wheel you know well I bought it all I I had all of it I use it as part of the curriculum to train my salon team as well as the team in my schools and my own future professionals so You know, thank you for that many years. And the first time that I had the privilege to sit down and interview you, I looked it up this morning. It was in 1996. That's the first time that we got to do this interview. And it's been, you know, you blink. It's almost daunting. You're how quickly time like collapses. And to your point, thank you, first of all, for your gracious words. But I've had the opportunity to watch you and uh, what you have done in that same window is nothing short of profoundly extraordinary. You know, I can say, I remember, you know, I knew you before you were, whatever you want to call it, rich, terribly happy. You have all these schools and the brand. And just to watch that explode over the decades, it's been inspiring. So kudos to you. It's been a good ride. It really has. Thanks, Mike. Coming from you, Michael, that's huge. Now, let me just share with our audience who, who Michael Cole is. Now, you've been in the professional beauty industry for 35 years, starting off 
as a licensed barber and hairdresser in 1975. Mm. So you've been at this for a while. But the thing that's exciting about the message that we're going to share today is that your outreach, uh, the influence that you have is way beyond the professional beauty industry. Your outreach and the messages that you have are for everybody. And you're going to have an incredible message so if you're listening to this right now, this is not the time to check out because you're not a hairdresser. This is the time for you to absolutely listen closely and realize that you're going to want to share this message with so many people. Uh, Michael is a, a teacher, an author, developer of training programs that has empowered thousands of professionals worldwide. You are also, Michael, the founding partner of the Summit Salon Business Center, which you can explain to us, share with us exactly what that's all about. But you've been doing this for a, a while and your messages are amazing. Before we jump into this, tell us what is this Summit Salon Business Center? It's a, uh, a training center uh, that was uh, started from a glimmer in a couple of people's eyes. I think it was 99-ish um, where, you know, business owners come together for three, four days, and we just kind of dive deep into what it is uh, that runs a good company. But when they go home, they go home with a coach. So the, what's different about Summit is that we now have 100 consultants, and the business attendees that want to take the ride are going, okay, I, I get it, I want it. And somebody goes home, to help them implement, uh, to give them the support they need to hold themselves and their team accountable so that we can close the gap between what they hear, what they can do with what they've heard and seen, and the, the result that they get. And now uh, in that 20 years, I think last count, we had about 5,000 businesses Jeez. that have been, and when you really look at that community of employees inside of that, probably somewhere around 50, 60,000 people. So I'm awestruck by watching it continue to unfold. So how important, before we jump into this, and I keep on saying that, but you mentioned having a coach, which is just so important because how often do people go to a motivational seminar and they leave there on fire and by day three, nothing has changed. Nothing has been implemented. And there goes that initial high that they had experienced while they were at the actual event. Talk to us about the importance of having a coach, especially in business and personal development and all of that. Yeah, I would say important to the 10th power. I think every now and then you will find an extreme exception to the rule. I think I, I'd like to underscore you as being one of those exceptions. A few minutes ago when you said once upon a time, you know, you and I were in a classroom, you were on the receiving end of some of my teachings. And while you heard, bought, took home with you, you unpackaged, you read, you watched, you did. And by and large, with a very high degree of self-initiative, that I think is a supreme exception to the rule. Most people leave, as you said, with the intention of doing it, but they bump into themselves, their own resistance, inertia, fear. If they have to lead people, they bump into that resistance. They get scared or they just get swept away by life. So I'm to a point now in my life that if somebody isn't 
willing to work with a coach after a class, I would say to them, you're not ready to be in my group because I, I love you too much to allow you to go back home without a coach. I, I'd rather say to you, no, you know what, see if you can figure something else out, but I just love you too much to do that to you. I, I tell you, hearing you say that makes me love you and, and respect you even more because a lot of speakers and teachers, they focus more on the effort. You know, the effort was I stood on a stage and I got a standing ovation. I'm now done. And they're not even checking on the result. They have no idea where their information, where their brilliance landed. The fact that you're saying, I love you too much to let you just go home and try to figure this out on your own. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Well, let's jump into this. You talk about what you call the wellness for life story. Can you, can you share that with us? Yes. Well, you know, you, you know, if you do the bio on me, I've been in the game for a few decades. And 25 years ago, uh, walked through, you know, every now and then it's our turn to go into the barrel. And, you know, some barrels are bigger than others. And this barrel that I went into 25 years ago, it was a big one. I, I was on the front end of colon cancer. I had major surgery. Um, Everything that could go wrong went wrong. Uh, and what I thought was going to be a 60-day sabbatical was an 18-month sabbatical. And uh, spent a lot of time convalescing. Uh, entered into, uh, in addition to physical recovery, some other recoveries uh, with the issues of life. And have been there since. It's been very, very private. I rarely talked about it. Uh, the the effects of my recovery showed up in my professional life as a as a teacher, and not long ago I, I kind of saw the back end of a glorious ride coming my way. So you know I'm 67 now, so it's like okay when like what's next? How am I going to spend the last quarter of my life? The last quarter of the game? There's four quarters, you know the age 60 to 80 is the fourth quarter. You go over 80, you're in overtime. So I, I thought, <laughs> you know, like what's left? And I just had this intuition, a, a kind of a calling. I didn't want to retire. I didn't want to stop teaching, but I really wanted to pivot to something a bit more profound, a bit more relevant. And now, you know, after the, the historical crisis that we, you know, you, you we're walking through, people need more now than ever, restoration. Recovery, restoration, whether we're talking about financial, mental, emotional, relational, spiritual. And I've been a, a student of that for 25 years. And uh, in my private life, in my philanthropic life, I do that uh, gratis. There's a lot of people that I teach. And I thought, I wonder if we brought some of that into the business world, uh, what the receptivity would be. Now, I don't know if it's because of, you know, the, the COVID thing or whatever, but it's now exploding where people are going, I want that. I, I want to stay in the business game. I still need the strategy, structure, system, leadership stuff, but give me that, that wellness. And we just called it wellness because it, it's a safer sounding word. It's not therapy. It's not rehab. It's wellness. Sometimes people will refer to it as self-care. And it addresses 
all of the dimensions of our life from our financial, relational, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, environmental. And so that's the deal. And we're just, I'm just so excited about it. I think it's younging me down. <laughs> While you're in the fourth quarter. <laughs> yes, yes. So I'm, you know, 67 going on, you know, it feels like 20 something. And now, you know, as you know, when we're in the digital age, so we call this the virtual center. Right. Of wellness that uh, I really want to do the overwhelming majority of that service, like on, you know, Zoom, or, you know, a Facebook platform or an Instagram uh, live platform. Uh, so that, uh, like you, uh, planes, trains, and automobiles, especially now, they're more difficult for me. So the idea that I could be in a studio and render this service uh, is very exciting. Isn't that great? Yeah. We have to have our own wellness to be able to offer what we do, which is a great message. If, if we're still jumping on trains, planes, and automobiles to be able to deliver this message, which we proudly and happily did for many, many years. But to continue doing that means it's taken away from our ability to be able to be of service. Can yeah. I ask you a question? At, how old were you? What age were you at when you went through colon cancer? And the uh, reason why I'm asking that question is because I remember um, uh, Noel DiCaprio, who passed yeah. away in 1998, yes. uh, shared with me that when she found out that she had breast cancer, uh, she said that she was embarrassed. She said that she was embarrassed by the fact that cancer could show up in her body, and she was very, very angry about it. Was that kind of your experience too? I mean, how did, yeah. were you at the point in life, wait a minute, I'm a speaker, I'm a mentor, I have great information, people want to hear what I have to say, how can this happen to me, or why is this happening to me? What did that do to you personally? Well, the story is a little bit different. And I loved how you, you know, you, you, somewhere in your uh, language, you were saying that, you know, when you get into this, we want to be living what we're teaching. Okay. Long ago, you know, and it was what it was, there was more of a gap between what I was living and what I was teaching than I wanted to admit to myself, uh, never mind the world. And I was diagnosed with chronic ulcerative colitis in the late 80s. And I kept it a secret. I found that to be embarrassing. And, you know, in retrospect, it, it was just kind of sort of how I was living my life. And every year it got worse and worse and the symptoms showed up. And I was just this side of 45, 43, 44. And after minor surgeries and all that goes with that disease, it was wearing me out. I was on steroids to control the disease amongst some other things. So I was having side effects from prednisone to, I was, I was on medication to offset the side effects of some, I was just a wreck. And I just went to my surgeon in 98 and I said, take this out of me. And he said, it's time you have whatever, I can't remember what the word was, but you are on the very, very, very front end of colon cancer. So I said, let's just go. And I had everything removed. And like I said, it, I was way sicker than uh, he had diagnosed. So almost died on the operating table. Wow. And um, it, it took a long time to get back. And then everything imploded from 
okay, I'm overusing, I'm depending on these meds that have been controlling my disease. So it was time to rehab and recover everything. And, uh, you know, you look back on it now and it was a divine intervention because, uh, you know, they they say that some people are afraid of dying. When they die, they're going to go to hell. People that are, you know, are kind of spiritually oriented, going to hell doesn't scare them because we've been there a few times. Right. (laughs) In fact, and so I really got interested 25 years ago. I want to practice the preachings. I want to walk the talk. I want to attempt to live what I teach. And uh, I'll tell you, it's way, way different. And I'm still not done. People say, what's next? And I go, the only thing that's next is just to continue to, uh, I call it, wake up, clean up, you know, step up and show up and really walk the talk. I wonder how many people listening to this right now have diminished their influence because of having gone through something that you use the word uh, embarrassment or, or shame or whatever. I have a very good friend who is very, very visible and has a huge, big following, uh, minister of a church, and then he got divorced. He's like, what does that mean? You know, have I lost all credibility here? I'm the person who stands to mentor all of these followers about a successful life, and yet my marriage just fell apart. What does that mean for me? Uh, And he, he talks about the embarrassment that he had to go through and and really, what is the value that he brings if that credibility is, according to some people, uh, shot? What did you have to personally go through to be able to uh, then stand back up on that stage and say, okay, I'm ready? Yeah, I would call it finding humility through humiliation, <laughs> you know, which is really wow. my pride was uh, it was surrendered. So I have more appreciation now. I think humility, the act of being humble, has to be, for me, the highest demonstration of courage. Wow. Um, I've always liked you. We're brave, you know, and and if we got to fight to the death, you fight to the death. And that's bravery. And uh, self-confidence, I think, is another demonstration of courage. Sometimes you just have to fly the damn airplane as you're building it. And you got to be confident. You got to stand in front of people and act like you know what you're doing. And courage has always been not the absence of fear, but the willingness to not allow fear to stop me from being brave, stop me from being confident. And, but with humility, it's disobeying the fear of getting honest with myself about myself, uh, getting honest with other people about myself and, you know, telling the whole truth and saying, look, yes, this is what's working well for me, but this is all of the stuff in my life that isn't working well. I I would call them the, what's my therapist say, the self-limiting, self-defeating, self-destructive patterns in me that left unchecked, they not only blow my life up, but they make the lives of the people I care about more difficult than need to be. And I want to get real busy at finding those patterns and learning how to get them removed. It's a addition through subtraction. That, to me, that's transformation. Uh, find out what isn't working, get rid of it, so that, you know, that, that presence that's in all of us can come through and no longer be uh, obstructed. So I, I want to jump into these six dimensions of wellness, but before we do, what message do you have for people who have disappeared for embarrassment? Because maybe they went through a divorce or they 
had to overcome an addiction or something happened to their personal lives and they feel embarrassed by it. And therefore they diminish their presence. They, they disappeared, so to speak, with the power and the influence that they could have because of that embarrassment. And I, by the way, I love the, the term that you use that you have to disobey the fear. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, your, your, your question is profound. It's very provocative. And, and all that I would bring to the table would be my experience as it relates to that question. And for me, it was get close to people and learn how to forgive myself. So that to the degree that I can, you know, kind of what happened to me and all of the things that I engaged in that I look back and have regret, it, it happened because it happened. What It's no longer good or bad. It was what it was. I'm going to forgive the offender. And the offender in that case was me. I'm going to forget the offenses. And I'm going to uh, remember the lessons. Wow. Uh, and uh, as I go out into my life, if there were other people that I was on the receiving end of their offenses, I forgive you the offender, I forgive the offenses, I remember the lessons, uh, you know, not to learn by history is to be condemned to repeat it. And I'm going to go out into my life, if you were on the receiving end of my offenses, I want to humbly acknowledge that, uh, make any amend that I can restore my relationship with you because I love you. And if you forgive me, great. And if you don't, well, that it is what it is. We'll both get on with our life. And I found by practicing that over 25 years, it made the demonstration of humility less difficult. Nothing's easy. It's just less difficult. So I would say to anybody, and I now sponsor a lot of people in recovery, and what you're pointing to is so relevant, and it's almost like the higher we go in our life, we're all obsessive compulsive achievers, that <laughs> when we fall, you know, gravity sucks. So it, there's something about taking a giant sigh of relief and saying, I'm, I'm going to get back in the game, and, and I'm going to demonstrate transparency. And you look at all the greats, you know, the Eric Clapton's of the world, I think he's coming up to 40 years in that wow. and you and you see the transformation so i would encourage anybody give it a shot god that's profound i i could end this interview now and what you've already shared is so valuable and we haven't even gotten into the meat of this but you know yeah. people listening to this right now if you're 18 years old or 80 years old there might have been something in your life that has caused you to step back again some embarrassment uh, that you somehow were less than your expectations of yourself you didn't fulfill those and now you've stepped back. And the message from Michael is uh, <laughs> move forward, forgive yourself, yeah. disobey the fear. In fact, to quote Michael, you say, restoring and transforming wellness in ourselves empowers us to show up better for serving, supporting, and soothing others. Yeah, yeah. It's a sacred teaching, but I just, and, and the idea that through passing that on, I get to have as you know, we teachers, we're, we're trying to learn what we're teaching. And so we get to live it more. So it's a beautiful thing uh, how that worked. Congratulations. Thanks for that. Okay, Michael, let's just jump into what you call the six dimensions of wellness for life. What's the first one? Well, the, if you Google 
uh, wellness, you're going to see dimensions of wellness and see kind of the model that uh, we're talking about. For, for wellness to be whole and integrative and, and, and address our life as a whole, it involves uh, financial, the money. It involves people, the relationships that we have with people. Uh, then it goes to something a little bit more personal, physical. And then as we start going inside, the mental, the emotional, and then, you know, whatever you want to call that deeper part, the spiritual, the soul. And the approach that uh, I, I take is that any practices that we engage people in include all six so that we're trying to integrate our life in a way so that as we kind of learn this, we see the manifestations of this showing up in our entire life. It's just not a segment. And so it took years for me to really kind of learn to live this as a student. And that's kind of sort of how I'm poised. Okay, which one do you want to start with then first? Well, the, you know, the part that most people can see right off the bat is the money part the financial and the relationship. So the money part is really about, um, I, I want to understand the difference that, you know, I, I can grow my income. There's a difference between growing income and having security and wealth. So I, I want to be able to uh, manage not only my income, but how I handle money. You know, how we handle our money is how we handle our life. So as income goes up, I want to pay attention to my burn rate, my, my spending. I want to use that difference. If I can spend less and earn more rather than to overspend and charge the rest, I'm going to have some surplus. I want to start doing some things with my surplus to lower my debt and, and a save for, you know, long-term and over time. That to me is wellness. If I can level that up, oh my goodness. So then it translates to wellness in my relationships the people in my personal, my interpersonal life, my professional life. I want it to be based on uh, companionship, mutual trust, mutual love, respect. And when I'm talking about this, I've always been a student of the 80-20 metaphor. You know, if you've, you read the literature, the 20 and the 80, and I no longer talk about the 20 and the 80 as people, but the 20 are those parts in my life that are working, and the 80 are the parts that aren't. So when you're talking about money, where is the 80? Where are the parts in my money life that aren't working? I want to raise awareness about that, accept the responsibility for making that better, learn the actions I need to take to make that better so that I can move the parts that aren't working, the 80, into the 20. The 20 are the parts that are cooking, where I'm well in my sleep. So you can take that concept into financial you can take it into relationships. I can take it into my emotional life. Where are the parts of my life that aren't working emotionally? Where are the parts that are working and how do I close the difference? Do the same thing with mental and the same thing with spiritual. Well, you said that how we handle money is also how we handle our life. I want you to expand on that a tiny bit more. But if oh, this sure. conversation were to 50-year-olds only and you were talking about the importance of saving or investing or of spending wisely, and that's a, an audience that's ready to hear what you have to say. How do you get that same message across to uh, a 20-year-old? Well, part of what I do is I, I'll not only share 
my story as it relates to any of those dimensions, but I will bring many, many people that have been students of this conversation into this conversation so that they can see I'm not making it up. And it's like, okay, how old are you? I'm a 20-something. Oh, I'm going to go get five or six 20-somethings so that they can tell you what their story was like, what happened when they woke up, when they started practicing these principles, and, you know, one, two, three, five, ten years later, how their life is different so that you know it's not about an old guy. Um, If I'm talking to the, let's say, late Gen Xers or boomers, that it's like it's too late for me. It's like, no, 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 that don't say that. Uh, I said that coming in, that if only I would have had this, you know, 5, 10, 20 years later, and my teacher said, if you get as focused about this as you were about other stuff, you can jump time. You can collapse time. Get as excited about your recovery and restoration as you were about anything else. And I said, you know, I don't know if that's true or not, but if it is, it gives me hope. I'm going to put as much of my passion into restoration as I did my career, and I did that. And so I tell people in their 40, 50, 60 something, it's not too late. You can make up for lost time and finish the game with a sense of retribution uh, and redemption. So, um, yeah, it's just, you know, I just keep bringing people to the table to let them see that I'm not making it up. Have you found that for a lot of people or some people that every other area of their life could be going well? So their relationships are going well, their physical wellness is doing good, they eat well, they sleep a lot, they are at the gym every single day. But if things aren't going well for them financially, it overshadows the rest of their life. So if things aren't good for them financially, all of a sudden they let that affect the quality of their relationships, their marriage, their, their lack of sleep. Have you found that that to be, oh, that, that that so, to be the case? It is so true. You know, that you, the statement, how we handle money is how we handle our life. If we're having a problem identifying those issues in our life that are kind of holding us up, follow the money. Follow the money. Follow the money. (laughs) Follow the money. So before we move on to the next one, what's the the, the final wake-up call and and challenge that you're giving to people about uh, this one dimension of of wellness for their life, the financial side of that? Well, there's a triangle in the teaching that I would call, uh, and you find this in the recovery community, awareness, acceptance, and action. Okay. And really based on, those are three principles. They're, they're like three higher laws. What, what we're aware of, we can handle. What we're not aware of handles us. You know, what, what I'm aware of, I can stop. What I'm not aware of stops me. So begin to wake up and become aware. Once I'm aware of what's in my way, what the pattern is, I'm going to accept the responsibility for correcting that. I'm going to stop storytelling. I'm going to stop blaming. I'm going to stop shaming. I'm going to stop rationalizing, minimizing, denying, and saying, you know, if this is going to get handled, I want to be the one that kind of, you know, takes the turd out of my own punch bowl. And then the actions are... What what did you just say? (laughs) I want to take the turd out of my own punch bowl. You know, the turd's in the punch bowl. Got it. We need to get it out. And then the actions, I want to become a a student. I I want enough 
tutors around me, show me the actions I need to take so I can demonstrate the responsibility that I'm accepting to make better whatever it is I'm now aware of. And the actions are, you know, the acceptance is what we accept, we can change. What we accept fully, we can change for good. And the action is, boy, actions ignite the energy and massive action explodes it. So once we're clear, the action part is, frankly, uh, I don't want to say the easier part. It's less difficult. It's uh, the awareness and accept responsibility. A lot of us, frankly, I don't want to look that closely at my life. <laughs> why not? Well, because I don't want to know. <laughs> what, right. where, and Well, why don't we want to know? Well, because I'm not ready to change. Yeah. Right. And sometimes we just need to wait for a crisis, and crisis makes it less difficult to go, you know what? My pants are on fire. I need to get this handled before it handles me. I think... Was it Tony Robbins that says we learn through inspiration or desperation? And for a lot of people, yes. it's that desperation. They, it's, it's crises that now forces them to run to the doctor. I guess I better have the, the blood work done to find out what's really going on. Not knowing is not acceptable anymore. I, I have a friend of mine that said she was 10 years sober, but only three years into recovery. Meaning, yeah. although she had the awareness that there was a problem with her drinking. Uh, so she had an, an acceptance of that, but she wasn't taking action. So she wasn't drinking. She stopped the drinking, but she wasn't doing the work that it takes. By the way, I, I have the luxury of, of looking at the triangle that you're sharing with everybody right now. I have it in front of me, awareness, uh, acceptance, and action. And as long as we're in the, the blame mode or making the excuses mode. You can't be pursuing your dreams while making excuses at the same time. You can't be reaching your brilliance and your potential if you're blaming somebody or something else. So for you to explain it in this very easy to understand triangle, awareness, acceptance, and action, where, where do people get stuck? So they, they have the acceptance and the awareness of it, uh, but are, do a lot of people just get stuck there? Yeah, I know my health is out of control, but oh well. Right. Well, it, as we begin to wake up, if we're not ready, you know, the first thing we bump into is uh, uh, denial, right? And, you know, whether we want to call it blame or rationalization, minimizing it, you know, we got a story and it's a great story. And, uh, it, you know, all we need to do is find, you know, a handful of people that will sign on to the story the narrative, and I have this false sense of, you know what, I'm okay, it really isn't that bad, and, and people give me theirs all the time, and I, I used to, like, bust them, and I don't now, I, I'll listen, I'll go, great, I see there's a lot of truth in your story, there's one thing better than the truth, that's the whole truth, right, so stay tuned, you know, more will be revealed, you know, what is it, uh, sooner or later, uh, time always reveals where the whole truth resides. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, we'll see. And the explanation, I, you know, the ex while the explanation you're giving me is solid, my heart goes out to you, the explanation doesn't excuse anyone from the consequences of keeping the pattern in play. If you keep the pattern in play, the consequences are you get to have a crisis 
irregardless of the story. So at some point, you, you're going to get sick and tired of being sick and tired. It, holding on to the story is going to hurt more than the fear of laying it down and embracing the truth. You know, that old saying, the truth will set you free. But at first, it freaks you out. Uh, right. It makes you angry. So it's, it's that. And then once I get over the denial, there's a time of depression. You, you just kind of, and depression, I think, is part of waking up. And I think part of the depression is the ego is kind of being crushed into dust a little bit so that more truth. And you're either going to loop and go back into denial or you're going to accept, break through and start the walk to restoration and recovery. So I've had the opportunity to watch it for 25 years in my own life and other people that make it and those that don't. As, as we go through this, I believe that the best teachers are storytellers. We tell our own stories and we tell the stories of other people. So anytime that you have a, an example, a story that you want to interject uh, with or without names, that's, that's always great. So we talked about the financial. Uh, what's the next area that you want to go into? Well, the relationship part is very important. And you can brew that down into just uh, to the degree. Show me two or more people that have a, uh, a pattern of when they come into agreements with each other, they keep the agreements that they come into. There's a clarity around it. There's a commitment to follow through. Not that everybody bats a thousand, but when somebody falls short on an agreement, it's not backpedaling and blaming and, and excuse making, but stepping up and saying, you're right. I dropped the ball on that. How can I make that right what can I amend to get restored with you? And then the biggie, I, I, what can I learn from this so that I don't end up in this position again with you? And then vice versa. So two or more people that have got that as a rhythm, a dance, and I'll show you a relationship that's going to continue to grow and evolve. On the other end, you know, agreement breaking is what makes relationships dysfunctional. That that old saying that uh, when you make a promise, it builds hope. When you keep the promise, it builds trust. Wow. So um, if you say if that again, I, that's powerful. Well, when I make a promise with you or come into an agreement with you that I'm going to do something that's important to you and for you, that gives you hope. And if I can keep the agreement and follow through, now that gives you trust. Trust that when I say I'm going to do ABC, you can hear what I say, watch what I do, and not see any, any different. But when I'm over-promising and I'm under-delivering and then coming to you with a story as to why that happened, you might give me the benefit of the doubt the first couple times, but after a while, you know, I, I hear what you say, I watch what you do, you're trying to behave yourself out of problems that you behaved yourself into, and that's when relationships get wonky. Wow, what you just shared in five minutes is the perfect context and content for a successful marriage, as oh. well as a successful uh, business team of people. Indeed, indeed. Good for you. Yeah, yeah that was yeah. perfect. What's the next area? So we've done financial relationships. What's the next area? Well, now we start going on the inside, the, okay. the, the emotional, the mental, they're kind of tied. I love this thing where emotion is energy in motion. And that uh, I use a wheel for that, and I just call it the wheel of emotion. Uh, it, it's a wheel that on the inside hub, 
the very first circle on the inside is what we would call the presence of the I am. That, you know, the power that's in us that's greater than us that waits on us to wake up to its presence so it can begin to work for us by coming through us. And, you you know, we've heard the teachings before. I am is two of the most important words in the human language because what we say after it, we bring more of that in. So I am love, I am fear, which is the second, that the two fundamental uh, feelings is love and fear. And in my wheel, fear is red and love is blue. And when you go out from the wheel, you see the emotional forms from in, 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 in fear, whether we're talking angry, anxious, bothered, depressed, despaired, overwhelmed, worried. I mean, there's just a plethora of them. And when you start going into the blue, a feeling of balance, centered, uh, hopefulness, grace, peace, joy, you, you know, and, and it's interesting because as I state this, people, they can find what I'm stating in their life. It's like, oh my God, you know what? That's true. That is true. And the idea is in emotions, I want to begin to move from red to blue. Okay. I want to have more experiences coming from blue, less in red. And I want to do that independent of, are the people, places, and things in my life changing? If I'm going to wait for the stuff to change. I'm going to be in hell on earth. I'm going to be in red. I want to learn how to get my experience of life changed so that I can have a, a better emotional experience of life regardless with the faith that it's easier to change my experience than it is my life. And after my experience changes, sooner or later, the law says my life, the conditions will begin to change. I'll either well, be- I, have the, I have the luxury of looking at the wheel right now myself. So I have it in front of me. And, uh, you know, we'll invite people to go to your website where they can pull up these diagrams because this is so helpful. Like Michael, uh, 20 minutes before you and I logged on to do this interview, I was on another podcast. And what I shared with that audience there was that there are two powers that rule this universe. One is fear and the other one is love. Now, the reason why I was sharing that was because, again, we're quarantined as we're making this recording right now. It's COVID-19 and there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of fear that is ruling this planet right now. And as leaders, and all of us are leaders, all of us have influence over somebody, which makes us a leader. Uh, we have power and influence to change the fear that exists on this planet right now. And the opposite of fear is love. And I was taught to believe that love is a verb, which means it requires action. So with the fear that exists right now because of COVID-19 or the fear that exists for whatever reason, yeah. what are some of the actions of love that you recommend that you challenge people to accept, to uh, follow through with in order to dispel the fear in their own lives, as well as the fear in other people. Boy, that was a loaded question. Oh no, it's very profound and provocative. I mean, that one in and of itself, when I think of actions, I think in terms of my personal actions, some financial, there, if you go to every one of those dimensions, you'll see a list of actions. And if you don't know what the actions are, find a coach. The actions, that they, that's not front page news. It's just, do I have a willingness to take the action now that I've accepted the responsibility for changing the experience? A lot of times somebody will say, I know, but I, I don't understand how taking this action is going to make my experience better. Well, you don't need to. This is not a program of understanding. 
is a program of action and understanding isn't required <laughs> before taking the action is simple. It's what you're saying is, but I want to understand. It's like, well, you're not going to take it. You need to have a willingness to believe that if I take the action, sooner or later, my life's going to get better and later will come sooner than I think, even though I don't understand the why. And we call that type of willingness to believe hope. I'm going to believe in something that I don't understand yet, demonstrate the belief by taking the action, and then hope that this is not BS, that this is, and as I start seeing the fruits on that action, as we get skillful at taking them, now it's like, wow, 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 wow. I, my faith, it went from hope. I now trust. I have trust in this because I understand why the action I'm taking is working. Isn't that amazing how many people are stuck because they want to understand why rather than just surrender. And you can ask an audience is surrendering a a weak thing or a strong thing. And people say, Oh, it's strong. So people believe that if I surrender, that actually is a strong, courageous uh, move on my part. And you're asking people to, you don't need to understand why I'm your coach. Trust me, have the faith. Yes. Just surrender. You don't need to know why. Just yep. surrender and just do it. Just just go through the motions if that's what it takes. <laughs> I'm laughing because most of us, I would put my, I needed a crisis to make it less difficult surrendering. It's like, I, you know, you go, okay, I'm damned if I do, damned if I don't. I'm going to surrender. And I realized that just because I surrender and say I'm powerless to change something doesn't mean I'm without power. There's power there, but that power goes to that last piece of the wellness and that spirit. That I have access to something that transcends me and that something exists within me. I can't use it. I need to surrender and allow myself to be used by it. And there's something mystical in that. When that happens, boom goes the dynamite. So before we get more into spirit, can you give us some solid actions that people could take right now, whether they're listening to this while being quarantined or they're listening to this two years after COVID-19 has come and gone to move forward in their life, overcoming fear, as well as in in, uh, helping other people overcome that fear. Fortunately, we live in a day and age and because, you know, we're in uh, lockdown or I can spend more of my time on the receiving end of tutorials on YouTube. There are great teachers, profound teachers, and there's, there's more power in taking that act, as we know. And I want to not only watch, I want to study it. I want to write down, I used to, you know, we use the word ahas, A-A-A-H-A, and ahas now is more than aha. Ahas are the actions that honor the awareness that I'm having what were the insights and what actions do I want to uh, set for myself to take on the awarenesses that I've had and then get together with other people that are in this conversation. And I want to share mine with yours. I want you to share yours with mine. Let's be companions because the power of we is greater than me. Mm. So the, and, and you'll figure it out. And, you know, one question leads to the other, but, for right now, I would say I become a, a student of YouTube. I, as a student, I now am pairing my mobile to my car so I can 
It is no longer a, a YouTube webcast. Everything's a podcast. I don't need to watch something. I can listen to it while I'm driving or whatever. Yeah, I, I go through two, three, five TED Talks a day. While I'm sitting at my computer, I, I don't need to watch the speaker. There's kind of playing in the background as I'm going about my day. Yeah, so and I, I hear your soul, our soul, our intellect, our heart, we're being fed. And that, frankly, is what inspires us, impassions us to uh, get it together. Okay, well, let's, now let's dive more into the last dimension of wellness for life, and that is spirit. Yeah. Well, spirit is just, you know, and I have to be very, very respectful when you go there uh, because, you uh, you know, people get wonky about that. Why? Because so they I, think it's religious only? Is that why that, right, that Michael's yeah. trying to promote some right. religion so, or lack of religion? Yes. Yeah, so I stay away. I, you know, spirit is, and I may even change it to presence, that there's a, you know, to, to be more present when you're in the moment and well, what am I, what do I want to be present for the presence that's in you, that's around you, that's in front of you and see that there's a power in that presence that if you devote some of your life to understand it and and getting synced up to it, we're going to have a better experience of life than if we didn't. That sounds safe, simple, relevant, practical, to me, and it brings out, you heard the word potential all the time, and potential in my mind is the good in me that's yet to be, or the God in me that's yet to be, yet to be what? Discovered, awakened to, the awareness, and as I wake up to more of that in me and take actions to manifest it, my life becomes extraordinary. Can I ask you, is your personal circle is it a small circle or is it a medium sized circle? Meaning that the people that I mean, you have influence over a very, very large, vast circle, but when it comes to, you know, you and your, your marriage or your, your physical wellness, is, is that a small circle of people that you are trusting of and that you share with? I love your question. My friend, when you go to the, uh, I think one of the last wheels on, on something that where I took the dimensions and I put it in a wheel. Uh, it's the same thing, but you're looking at it from a different metaphor. The, my circle is really big when you look at relationships and financial. Then you start going inside. The, the circle gets a little bit smaller because that's where people get a little bit shaky. You start going inside of spiritual and the circle becomes even smaller. So in my spiritual communities and the communities in spirit that I'm in, I, I'm a meditator. I really, uh, contemplative meditation, quiet time helps me to uh, get centered. I, I talk about centered is, you know, spiritually aware, mentally quiet, emotionally calm, and physically relaxed. If I can bring that with me into the world, I and people around me will be more served. But to do that before I go into the world, I need to take some time, take pause, and get to that center. And one of the ways I do that is just through, you know, contemplative, meditative. I go on uh, silent retreats. Two, three times a year, I go off the grid 
and I like to get close to people that have adopted this to their life so I can just kind of get it deeper in me to go out to live it and teach it. That circle is very small. People want to know, what do you do when you go on retreat? Nothing. Well, you were gone for 10 days. Did you talk? No talk. <laughs> it's wow. a silent retreat. I was, who are you with? I was in a monastic community with monks. Oh my God. And you didn't say anything for 10 days. No. Well, how was it? Well, it was excruciatingly wonderful. <laughs> it, I didn't, whatever it was, it wasn't relaxing, right? right. Um, because it, you know, you, to, sometimes it takes, what do they call it? A, a breakdown to have a wake up. If you could go back and erase that period of your life medically, the things that you went through, you said that there was even some embarrassment that went along with it. And then it was the surrender to the doctor, take this out of me. However long that period of time was, whether it was a year or several years that you medically, physically went through that, if you could go back and change all of that where that never happened to you, would you? No. Everything that happened to me, my, my stance, was exactly what was supposed to happen. So part of acceptance is I accept my present and my past for being exactly as it was supposed to be in that moment. Now, that's not a get out of jail free card. My life is subject to change moment to moment, but acceptance is what happened wasn't bad. What happened wasn't good. What happened was what happened. And it brought me to this place. Had I not walked through that, I would not be at this place and this place that I'm at, I say this with gratitude, not grandiosity. It's a place of grace. And if you get me talking about it too much, it comes out of my eyeballs in Niagara Falls gratitude. So it's all good. I think uh, we need to share our personal stories more often. You know, my, my story was in overcoming a drug addiction. I've interviewed people who have lost uh, limbs and I go back and I go and ask them if you could go and change that day when you stepped on the bomb and lost three of your limbs, would you go back and change that day? The answer is always no. There's no way I would, I would not be the parent that I am today. I would be a jerk if that didn't happen to me. Yes. So I, 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 love, I love asking that question because experience is a great teacher, but the value of those personal experiences diminishes in the time that it takes to have the experience. So we can learn from other people's experiences. I don't need to lose my legs to learn the valuable lessons that somebody like a Cedric King could teach me. I don't need to become a drug addict to learn what Wynn can teach me about recovery. I don't need to almost experience colon cancer to learn what Michael Cole can teach me. Yes, yes. Michael, do you have a final messages for our listeners? Keep the faith, more will be revealed, and this too shall pass. Whether your life is going extraordinarily well or it's your turn in the barrel, keep the faith, more will be revealed, this too shall pass, and it'll be a good ride. So thank you for having me on. Michael, tell us again how people can find you, especially because I want them to be able to go yes. and find these tools uh, that I had the privilege of having in front of me as you walked through them. Uh, where can people yeah, find uh, more information? 
Well, if you Google Michael Cole Summit, it's going to take you to a lot of, it's going to take you to Facebook and Instagram, a, a website. If you go to Facebook and say Michael Cole Summit or Michael Cole Next, it'll get you to the wellness program. Uh, SummitSalon.com kind of gets you to, if you're in that field. And so finding me shouldn't be difficult. M- Michael Cole Summit on YouTube, uh, Michael Cole Next on YouTube. So uh, thank God we're in a digital age. You don't have to do too much clicking uh, and navigating to get to what you're looking for. And I invite people, if you've never uh, seen Michael in action, if you've never seen him through his videos, I absolutely invite you to do that. You've been entertaining me uh, now for all of these years, 30 plus years. To watch you, to listen to you is one thing. To, to watch you is a whole nother world, which I've loved for all these years. Thanks, Michael. You're welcome, my friend. You stay well. You do the same. I appreciate you so much. I, I, I truly, I love you. I am so grateful to you. All these years, what you contribute is just short of a miracle, truly. I love you too, and namaste. Thanks, Michael.